This is Jocko Underground Podcast number 49, sitting with here with Echo Charles. Wanted to talk about a little something called psychological reactants. Mm. Now, this is something that you know, that I know, that I've known about for a long time, but I, ha- but I haven't heard it. I didn't know this term. Mm. What this is, is... The definition is, quote, unpleasant motivation arousal or reaction to offers, people, rules, or regulations that threaten or eliminate specific behavior freedoms, end quote. So what does that mean? What that means is, what that means is that people don't like to feel their freedom of choice is being threatened in any way. And what you hear, have heard me say for years, and this is just something I would throw out there as if it was a fact, and it kind of now is, mm-hmm. is you hear me say, people don't like have things imposed upon them. You don't want to impose your plan on them. You don't want to force things on people. That's, th- there's a psychological phenomenon that backs up that, quote, feeling that I talk about. Mm. Um, this happens when you, you know when someone says, hey, you can't do that, and it makes you want to do it a little bit? <laughs> Yeah. Right, we were talking about something earlier today. Yeah. I was like, oh, someone's telling me to do something, telling yeah. us to do something, yeah. and that makes us, both of us, feel like, oh, we would, we just won't do it just to spite them. Yeah. Or at the very least, you can, don't tell me what not at to the do. Very like, you're least. mad that you can't do it, even though you never wanted to do it. Right. That right there, yeah. that right there is reactance. That's yeah. psychological reactance. When someone says, hey, you can't do that, and makes you want to do it more. And this is because, in my opinion, humans don't like to be controlled, right? Humans don't like to be controlled. We tend to want to do the opposite of what someone is imposing on us. This is, by the way, where the idea of reverse psychology, which everyone's heard of, plays on. That's that's the idea that, that it plays on. Like, oh, you, you know, Hey, Echo, you're not allowed to sweep up in here. No, oh, watch me. I'm going to sweep up, you know, like yeah. the Tom Sawyer, yeah, yeah. you know, example of, you know, you guys can't paint the fence, you know. No, yes, we can. Okay. Yeah, okay, fine. So that's, what's, that's, what, that's what reverse psychology works on. It works on reactants. Uh, there's four elements to reactants. Or four, I should say four stages maybe. Perceived freedom, like this is what I think I'm, I should be allowed to do. Threat to that freedom. Then you get the reactance, which then provides restoration of the freedom. A couple interesting indicators. The more certain of the freedom, the harder the reactance. So it's something you definitely think you should be able to do. And I told you not to do it. You're going to re- have even more reactance to it. The higher importance of the freedom, the more stringent the reactants. And and here's an interesting point. They tie this to the fact that if I take one freedom away from you, you psychologically think if you take that one, you're probably gonna take more. It's almost like a, a, s- a psychological slippery slope that we're getting into. Mm-hmm. So it's important to understand this. It's important to understand this for me to be able to sort of to sort of quantify this idea that I've been expressing for years, which is people don't like being told what to do. People don't like having ideas imposed upon them. People don't like having plans imposed upon them. 
and 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 so this is where it comes from we all as humans have a psychological reactance we don't want to be told what to do we don't want to have our freedom of choice controlled in any way so then the question becomes how do you overcome this right well this is again something else i talk about all the time using the indirect approach making something someone's idea right i don't push the idea down their throat. I ask earnest questions to get them to say, oh, well, this, uh, Jocko, I think we should do this right now. Oh, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Now it's been your idea. Now we, now you want to go and execute it, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Saying something like, hey, Echo, here's the situation we're in. I think we should go in this direction, but it's your call. Mm-hmm. Right? Now I give you that little bit of freedom. You go, you know what? Here's what I want to do. And it allows you a little bit more freedom to think through the issue. Whereas if I say, Echo, you need to do this right now, you're automatically against it. Mm. And you might resist it. You might say, I'm not going to do that. Whereas if I say, hey, man, here's the situation. It's your call what we do. And it opens up your mind to actually do the right thing. And what this reinforces is the fact that, once again, the indirect approach may seem like the harder thing to do it may seem like the less efficient thing to do but this is another reason why the shortest distance between two points is not always a straight line in fact in that works on a piece of paper in geometry class in sixth grade but in the real world the straightest the, the the closest distance between two points is rarely if ever a straight line and the indirect approach is usually better yeah. so there you go yeah the indirect you, you go around the mountains kind of like okay so I was, go, I was going up a uh, big to big bear mm-hmm. coming back mm-hmm. and my son he's five he goes why do these roads have to be so windy because mm-hmm. they're windy yeah they are and he and technically it's not a bad question it's like yeah why isn't it why is it so windy so you kind of did you say look attention. at the freaking cliff bro <laughs> No, and I for sure didn't say it like that. But I did say, however, I was like, oh, because they got to go with the contour of the mountains. Otherwise, like, where's the road? How are you going to make the road? Unless you made one huge bridge or something like this, but that would take a long time and all this stuff. I says, but if you pay attention, this makes the most sense because you got to go look where we're going. We're always next to the mountain. Look, and you see him. And for a long time, he's just looking at every curve and it started to make sense to him. Mm -hmm. And it's true. It's kind of the same thing where it's like, yeah, in a vacuum or in sixth grade geometry, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a straight line. But in real life, it doesn't work like that because there's all these other factors. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, kind of one of the examples I'll use when I'm talking to clients and trying to explain the indirect approach to them. You know, if you've got to get from point A to point B, Hey, the easiest way is a straight line, right? Yes, of course. Well, what if there's a river? Yeah. What if there's a two ridge lines that you have to pass over? And if you just go a little bit off course, you can go over here into a nice field, which doesn't have the river running through it, yeah. and it doesn't have any ridge lines. And instead of you, you know, instead of it taking you uh, whatever ten hours to get across the ridge lines across the river, you can just. You can just get there in three hours because you can go fast. You're not gaining and losing elevation twice to get over ridgelines. And risking some 
detrimental stuff yep. by the way yeah so very interesting the indirect approach i'm still trying to find the best way to explain this to people because it's counterintuitive and it's counterintuitive because of what we learn in sixth grade geometry that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line and it only works on that piece of paper with you know mrs jones who's telling you <laughs> what how to get from point a to point b this is viola swamp so um, what is the Okay, psychological reactants. Yeah. I'm going to remember that one. Yeah. It's, good. it's a good one because yeah. we all have it. You see it from your kids. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Isn't that, okay, you know the idea of when people's, I don't know if it's the same thing, but that's kind of, kind of what I'm asking. Maybe is this the real fundamental same thing? You know, when they say, um, don't, what is it? Don't think of a elephant. And then you can't help but yep. think of an elephant. I wonder if that has something to do with it. I don't think so. Yeah. It's a similar thing, but that's more like once there's an idea in your head, like you right, can't right. you can't process you thing. can't purposely turn it off. Yeah. Whereas this is a natural reaction. Yeah. It's like, you know, every action has a natural an equal and opposite reaction. Mm. That's what this is. Yeah. I tell you to do different. something, you naturally don't want to do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it feels different for sure. Um, okay, Q&A. First question. Hello, Jocko and Echo. I've read both Extreme Ownership and Leadership Strategies and Tactics and found many of the principles of these books to be helpful. However, as a high school teacher, I'm wondering how these strategies and tactics would apply to settings like school where some of the students within the team do not want to be in school and are not even extrinsically incentivized by something like a paycheck. Jocko, coming from a household run by two teachers, I'm curious as to your thoughts on leadership in this setting with people with people this age. Um, yep. So the, just, just to start off, the military, people in the military aren't, quote, motivated by a paycheck. They're not motivated by a paycheck. They're getting paid, but that's not their motivation because I can't pay someone enough money to charge a machine gun nest. I can't pay someone enough money to risk their lives driving down a road with IEDs all over it. So, so the incentivization through a paycheck in the military, not there. And by the way, you know what else isn't there? The rank. Mm. Or just, oh, well, I told you to do it, so therefore you have to listen. Oh, you want me to die because you're my boss? No, mm. that's not happening. So it's not like rank structure or authority carries any more weight in the military than it does as a high school teacher mm. to a student. Doesn't have, the, 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 the authority in the military is not stronger. Mm. As crazy as that might sound. Now, might it work when you're in a garrison situation, meaning you're not in combat? Sure, hey, I'm gonna write you up, I'm gonna get you in trouble, I don't feel like getting written up. I don't, okay, but what about in combat? Mm. I'm telling you, you better go do this right now. Oh, you're sending me to go die? No, I'm not doing it. That's how there was, you know, frag, fragos happen in, uh, or, or frags happened in, in Vietnam. Like, oh, my officer's telling me to do this? He's gonna get me killed? No, I'm just gonna kill him. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Not to mention people going AWOL and deserters and the whole nine yards. So, we work, I work with charity organizations where everyone that's part of the charity is volunteering. And you think, oh, well, they're volunteers, so that means they want to be there. Oh, okay. You know, you think that they all want to get up at a certain time. You think they all want to show up at a certain time. You think, I've had that the same question because they're not incentivized by money. What about 
employees in a, in a multitude of industries where they're gonna make the same amount of money regardless of their output. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna get paid, you know, whatever, my hourly rate, regardless if I process this many things or work this many things, doesn't matter. So why would I work any harder? Um, the draftees in Vietnam, you wanna talk, you know, you think the students don't wanna be there. Well, in Vietnam, they didn't want to be in the military. They didn't believe, believe in the war. They didn't want to be in Vietnam. And they could get, also get killed doing their job. In the SEAL teams, in the SEAL teams, I couldn't give someone a raise because they did it. Hey, Echo, you did a great job on that mission. Here's, here's a bonus. It yeah. doesn't work that way. Zero. I have zero percentage of being able to do that. So... Luckily, I mean, the best I could do for you, Echo, is if you did a great job over an extended period of time, I, I could put you in for a single award, which can help you. But guess what? Some other knucklehead's probably also getting an equivalent award because his boss is a little easy, more easier going or whatever. Right. Maybe I give you a really good evaluation, which in a year and a half will get you a promotion, which will get you paid another $312 a month. Dude, mm. it is not for the money that you're doing it. Mm. So, luckily for me, I figured out that the best incentive for human beings, and this kind of relates to the, to the opening topic, the best incentive for human beings is control over their own destiny. Giving people ownership, letting them figure out how they want to do things. And if you give people that kind of ownership, so if you have a bunch of students and you want to get them engaged when they're not engaged, talk to them about what do they want to, literally, what do you want to learn? How do you want to learn it? How can this be more engaging? How do you guys want to set up this class? How I would do that. Because all of a sudden, they go, oh, you're going to let us do this however we want? Well, we, hey, we don't want to do anything. Okay, and this is the next step. you got to connect what you're doing now to them having more or less control over their future. Right, how, how what they're what you're doing now connects to your future. Show them the smaller steps that will eventually get them to more freedom in life. Explain to them that these steps that are going to improve their intellect, improve their capabilities as a human being, how those are going to lead to greater opportunities and greater freedom later on in life, and also show them how a lack of effort and a lack of discipline is going to put you on a pathway of small steps that are gonna lead you to a place where you're not in control of your life. And if you explain how what they're working towards and the effort that they make now will lead them to control and freedom in the future, that's the best thing that you can offer them. And look, are you gonna get every single person to make that connection? No, it's gonna be very, very hard. But if you start to talk to people, you start to talk to these students and explain to them what is at stake, what they're throwing away. Look, when you're young, you don't think, you know, when you think about the future when you're young, you're thinking about like next weekend. Most people, look, you get the kids that are like, well, in five years, I'm going to be uh, graduated from university. I'm probably, well, I'll be in this, you know, this environment. I'll be working at this company, right? They've got, there's kids like that, yeah, 100%. Sure. Yeah. Those are the ones you're concerned about, you know? This guy, this teacher's not concerned about those students. Yeah. He's concerned about the ones that hasn't, haven't made that connection yet. Mm. 
That would be my main goal is talk about how what they do now relates to the freedom that they will have in the rest of their lives. And, and you got to spell it out to them. It's not about luck. Is there luck involved? Yes, but the, you, the luck is there. It may, it may fall your way. It may not. But if you work hard, you're going to be in a better spot, 100%. If you work hard and you get lucky, awesome. If you work hard and you don't get lucky, okay, you're still going to be all right. If you don't work hard and you get lucky, maybe you're okay, but barely. And if you don't work hard and you don't get lucky, you're, you're a slave. So let them know that they control where they end up. Let them know that they control where they end up and it starts now. And then give them some ownership on what they're doing. That would be my recommendation. And I work with a lot of kids, including my own. (laughs) Right on. All right. Next question. Jocko, it's bad enough. We need a true leader. There's no question. That's it. Well, that's the the question is because people are always like, "Oh, will you run for president?" And I always say, "Well, if things get bad enough, I'll run for president." Oh God! I, I, I usually say I won't run for president, but I'll like take over sure. <laughs> <laughs> as a benevolent dictator. Um, is it bad? Yeah, it's bad. But guess what? Um, you know, look, we still have electricity. We still have phone. We still have internet. We still have power. We still have fuel. We still have food. We still have a functioning society. Right, we still have a functioning society, society, and there's still balance. Right, there's still balance. Uh, the direction of the country. What is it? It is April of 2022 right now. The direction of the country, that the direction that the country is going right now is about to be reversed by midterm elections. Like, hands down. Right, so. Th- that means that there's still a level of balance. The, 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 the pendulum always swings back and forth. It swings back and forth. It swings back and forth. And I think the real problem would come when all of a sudden it starts to not swing back from one direction or from the other direction. But I think that right now it still is a pendulum that swings back and forth. And I think it's actually... That, that people are growing sick and tired of the divisiveness that we see all the time, and I think there's gonna be some correction of that. I think many people think that this is bad enough right now. Like there's a lot of people that are saying what you're saying, it's bad enough. And they're like, okay, what do I need to do to stabilize this thing? Who do I need to vote for? Who do, what, what issues do I need to put to the forefront so that my political representatives start to do something that's more sane and communicate with each other and find real solutions to some of the issues that we're facing? So I think that this is bad enough for a lot of people to start to make adjustments to how they think. Um, but as far as it being bad enough in my mind to like want to go that way, uh, I'm just not there yet. And, and, and look, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. We're going to keep doing what we're doing. Um, pay attention. I pay attention to it, but we're not there yet. If it does get to that point and if there's some like dynamic event that causes that, it could happen. There could be a dynamic event that causes an unpredictable event could cause things to really get bad really fast. 
And if that happens, I am ready to get after it and you should be ready too. So there you go. Next question. Hello, Jocko. I'm 35 years old and I've wanted to become a Navy SEAL for a long time. However, everyone I talk to always talked me out of it uh, for the longest time. My parents, family, and friends alike say that being in the military isn't for me because I have a bit of an anti-authority attitude. I was wondering if you can give me any insights on if I should ju- if I should try regardless of if I fail or not, or if it's too far too late at this age. Thank you for your time. Uh, yeah, 35 years old is too old. Um, you can't get in. You can't get in the SEAL teams at 35 years old. They occasionally, the, the cutoff age is 28. Occasionally they will go to 29 or 30 for some highly qualified candidate. So if you spoke four languages and you were some incredible uh, wrestler with um, the world championships in jujitsu and you played division one football and you were a judo champion and you were a Fulbright scholar, then they'd be like, "Mm, you know what? Okay. (laughs) But if you're less than that, they're, they're, they're not going to give you a waiver past 30. Um, and so 35, it's not happening. The, the injury rate would be too high. The recovery rate is too slow. Um, there's just, it would be not possible to make it through training in that age. And then it would be not possible to function in a platoon after going through that training um, as a new guy. So what I would do in this situation is look to see if you can join one of the other services, perhaps a reservist. I, I didn't, I don't know the cutoff points. 35 is getting close, but I think you could still get in the army. And what would be nice about joining as a reservist, you know, if you don't like authority, I don't like authority either, but I spent 20 years in the military um, because I figured out how to deal with it, but you might not know how to deal with it. And so you might end up hating the military, like your parents, family, and friends all said. And if that's the case, then if you're a reservist, you only have to put up, you know, with it for the weekend and then you get to complain about it, but you're not doing it all the time. And then if you realize, oh, you know what, this is actually not that bad and I can deal with the authority inside the military, cool. And, and you can maybe end up going active duty after a while. But if you don't like it, you can kind of you can kind of bail eventually. Mm-hmm. But at this point, at 35 years old, nope, SEAL Team's not an option for you. Find another way to serve. You know, find another way to serve because this should be about service. This shouldn't be about what I want to do. I want to join the Navy. I want to be a SEAL. This job of serving your country isn't about what you want to do and find another way to serve. So that's what I would do in this case. It's kind of a good little point there you kind of touched on where it's like, I want to do this. I want to, because as time goes on, it's all our problems in society. Fundamental problems are solved. We start to do that, right? Where it's like, well, now I want to be included in this, you know, like a Navy SEAL. like. And I'm not talking about this guy in specific. Mm -hmm. I'm saying in general where... To be a Navy SEAL is really, really hard, and most people don't become a Navy SEAL, and it's for a very specific reason because. Well, it's for a whole bunch of different reasons. Yeah, but the and I would imagine, and I'm obviously you know this that mm-hmm. I'm not currently a Navy SEAL, so 
there's only I'm limited to my knowledge as to why that is, but it does seem like that they need Navy SEALs to do things that very few people are capable of doing. So they want to make sure that the people who become Navy SEALs are at the very least capable of doing those things, mm-hmm. right? And if you're not capable of doing those things, you simply don't belong there at all. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that has a lot to do with the age thing. So it's kind of it's kind of bold to be like, yeah, like I want to be included in the Navy SEAL thing. So I should get an opportunity, right? And I'm not saying that that's what this guy's doing at all. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that at all. But how you touched on it where it's like that mindset is different than I want to serve. I want to be of service. So, hey, what can I help you guys with kind of a thing, whether it be the country mm-hmm. or a group or whatever. Yeah, I'm just saying it's a slightly different mindset in two very specific different directions. Yeah. And what's weird is you, you, you hear advice like this. If you want to be a SEAL, but you're, quote, doing it for someone else, yeah. it's not going to be a good outcome. Yeah. So if you're doing it because, you know, my, f- my friend did it, yeah. or you're doing it because I want to prove to my girlfriend that I'm tough, yeah. like n- those, those are not good reasons. Yeah. You better be doing it because you want to do it. Yeah. Now, and you better be doing it because you want to serve. Yeah. Otherwise, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. I'm not saying it's not possible yeah. because there's guys that make it through with all kinds of weird reasons, yeah. right? You, there's just like you can't identify the body type that's going to make it through. Right. You can't identify the background that's going to make it through. You also can't identify the reason because there might be someone that makes it through because they wanted to whatever. They wanted to prove to their freaking swim coach in high school that they were that they were they should have made first team or what you know what yeah. I mean like th- yeah. that there's like yeah. legit people Go and ahead. there's some people that are like oh I I'm on a mission from God and yeah. God told me to be a seal and that's what I'm doing they make it yeah. like there's all every reason that you could come up with on the spectrum is in there um that reason is going to get tested to a point that <laughs> yeah. is very very powerful yeah. because otherwise you wouldn't have attrition rates of 70, 80, and 90% in classes. And that doesn't count the people that showed up to the recruiter. Yeah, I bet you for every 10 SEALs that make it through the training, there's probably, there's probably 500 to 1,000 that went into a recruiter and said, I want to be a SEAL. Mm-hmm. Then you, know, you, you, you lose a cut from the physicals. You lose a cut from the physical screening test. You lose a cut from uh, people that don't pass the psychological thing. You lose a cut from people that freak out in boot camp. You lose a cut from people that don't pass the, the physical screening test once they're in boot camp. Mm-hmm. You lo- then you, they, they haven't even shown up to Coronado yet. Yeah. <laughs> they haven't even shown up to Coronado yet. You probably lost 250 of them. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, like, you can – I'm not – and, again, I'm not saying any, there's anything – as far as what this guy is saying – like, I'm not saying, I'm not using him as this example. I think that, that this totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. Whether you're 35, 25, freaking 18, 50, whatever, and you want to become a Navy SEAL, to me, I can connect those dots easily. Where if you see everything that we know about Navy SEALs, where to make it, you got to be, you know, a special breed of person mm-hmm. in some way. We don't mm-hmm. know yet, but some way. Um, you do awesome stuff. 
uh, you make huge impacts as far as like, you know, militarily speaking and probably in all these other ways or whatever. And you become stronger mentally and physically. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, those are all good things. And I don't care what age you are. Yeah, you're kind of down for that. I understand how someone would find that appealing. So yeah. I dig as far as this guy goes. Um, but as far as conceptually, the mind, the two mindsets that you touched on is like, hey, I'm doing this for me. It's kind of like when I played football, right? You could tell some guys are there for stats straight mm-hmm. up. Like throw the ball to me. If you don't throw, you could throw the ball to another guy, make a touchdown, win the game. The guy would still be angry at the end of the game. Wait, why do they want stats so bad? I want to be, I want to make touchdowns. I want to look cool. On freaking, Drag. I don't know, maybe in, in college, maybe they want to get, um, you know, they drafted. drafted or whatever. Okay. You know, they're in it for their personal interest, mm-hmm. and that can jam you up. Mm-hmm. I'm not, again, I'm not saying this guy's doing this at all. I'm at all. This guy, I, I don't know this guy's situation, so it has nothing to do with the, the concept. I'm just saying conceptually speaking, it can be viewed as important to make sure you, you understand which angle you're coming from there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll say that. <laughs> It is amazing, though. Like I said, so you get these kids that, let's say 500 of them go to the recruiter. And then some of them don't pass the physical there. Some of them fail some kind of, you know, screening, psychological screening. Some of them don't pass the the PSTs, the physical screening test. Then you show up at boot camp. Some of them don't pass the vision test. Some of them don't pass their secondary medical screening some people don't pass the physical screening test there but but some kids make it through all that mm. so they've enlisted in the military and they're now in the military they've told everyone they're going to be a seal and then they show up to to coronado and you'll have the first day of first phase there'll be 30 of them 40 of them just yeah i'm done yeah. <laughs> it's like crazy to think that way yeah these are people that like have been told over and over again, like this is gonna be really hard, and they're like, "Oh, I know, yeah. I'm ready. Yeah, I'm I'm crushing the PST. I'm you know whatever they're saying, yeah. and they show up there, and but day one, where's that bell? Let me <laughs> let me. Where's that bell? Because believe it or not, it sucks. Yeah. And well, if you don't have the right mindset, it sucks. Yeah. Even if you have the right mindset, it can kind of suck. Still, sometimes. yeah, yeah, that makes like, sense. Hey, man, it's cold water. People think, oh, it's California. It must be like, you know, Baywatch. Sure. It ain't Baywatch out here, son. <laughs> Down on the Coronado Silver Strand. Yeah. yeah, it's freaking 43 degrees in the morning. Cool. You're standing up with a wind chill, getting after it. They be, People just ringing out. Bruh, I'll take a cold shower every day. And sometimes when you wake up and it's cold out, I don't know, 48 degrees. Right? You can feel that coldness when you wake up. Mm-hmm. And then you jump in that cold shower. It's like, ooh, mm-hmm. bruh. Freaking imagine going out to Coronado <laughs> in the sand. Way colder, by the way. And then you got to do it. It kind of gets imposed on you. You got to do it every day, Dude. all day, every day. Brah. The instructors oh, know, hard. too. The instructors know the little tiniest things that are going to bother people. Yeah. They, they know it like, you know, like your brother. If you want to know your brother, you yes. kind of know what to do. Yeah. Yes, sir. They know they know exactly what to do. And they know it in every different scenario that they're gonna put you in. They know when the boat is on your head, this is gonna suck. Oh, they yeah, know yeah. when they know when you're paddling through the surf, this is gonna suck. They know when you start surf torture, this is gonna suck. They know when you've been doing surf torture for this long, this is gonna make it suck worse. They know yeah. they know exactly what to do. It's been passed down for sixty years to figure out how to make it suck a little bit worse. Yeah. That's what they know. And they that's why they get 70, 80, 90% attrition rate. 
Yeah. Quitters. By the way, it's quitters. Well, yeah. I mean, well, you kind of said something where it's like, you know, the, the people make this these all these preparations. Mm-hmm. They tell their family, friends, you know, <laughs> saying it publicly, straight up. Mm-hmm. And then day one or whatever. <laughs> it's just, you know, they quit day one. The Their calibration for the word hard, mm-hmm. right, or, mm-hmm. or adversity <laughs> yeah. or whatever, it's and just miscalibrated, it's miscalibrated, like way off, you know. Yeah. Um, and then so that's not to – and the thing is I'm not – like we kind of giggle because we're like whatever. Well, you can't – you have the right to. I kind of don't. I don't have the right you to can giggle. giggle at that. No, you can giggle, bro. It's funny. <laughs> I feel like I don't have the right to because think about this as an outsider or as just a normal person where – Okay, I know what hard is. I know what cold is. I know what sandy feels like. I know what waking up early feels like. I know what lack of sleep feels like. All the little individual elements, like, I know what they all feel like, right? Individually. (laughs) Individually. And then... And for a finite period of time. Yes. Because that's the other thing. They make... You feel like this is going to go on forever. Yes. And it kind of is. So... (laughs) It does. Damn. And then, okay, so consider all that as as part of the recipe, right? Then there's these kind of intangible um, ingredients of this recipe where that, what you just said, and then in addition to that, the people running it, it's not that it just happens to suck. Even though in a weird part of your brain it kind of feels like, oh, this will just sort of happen to suck because the water, the ocean water is cold. It's not just uncomfortable. It's cold because the weather's cold. Or sandy because sandy just sand feels like that. It just It's like that. No. On top of it, you have a guy, who, and it's engineered to suck even more. Mm-hmm. So it's not just like we're in a shitty situation. This is the adversity of nature. You know, <laughs> nature has a vote. Weather has a vote. It's not just that. It's guys. It's engineered. It's like the algorithm. You're Check. not just searching out freaking cool videos. Check this out. When you go through Hell Week, one of the moments of reprieve is when you go into the galley, right? Because you get to eat. What is a reprieve? Like, like, like a moment of comfort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is when you go in to eat. Hell yeah. So you go in to eat, and for like the galley is a, it's a building, mm-hmm. like it's a chow hall. Yeah, so yeah. it's 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 got temperature control. So yeah. it might be a normal temperature. You know, it might be mm-hmm. seventy degrees. Yeah. And you're gonna go in there and you're gonna eat, and there's a de- there's an okay chance that you're actually gonna be able to like take 15, 20 minutes to eat. So you have like 15, 20 minutes of like no one's bothering you. Yeah. I, I fell asleep, like one of my few memories of Hell Week, because I don't remember much, but I fell asleep like face first in my spaghetti. <laughs> because I was comfortable, yeah. I was warm for a second, I was just like, boom, I woke up yeah. in my spaghetti. So, but when you get done with chow, they like immediately come in, start yelling, screaming, get out there. But when you go out, as soon as you walk out, they make you bear crawl out, so you're on your hands and knees, right? <laughs> And then yeah. as soon as you come out, they got freezing cold hoses and they're hosing you back down to get you wet again. Yeah. And then when you, they basically have like a tunnel set up of a bunch of people with hoses spraying you down as you come out. And then when you get to the end, they like brush your teeth with a hose. So as you're, so you stand there and they spray a freaking high pressure hose in your mouth. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's a shock to the system. Yeah. It's a shock to the system. Yes. But, but, but here's what's, here's what's funny. The instructors, they're outside, and they sit outside with hoses and spray the windows to let you know that they're waiting. (laughs) (laughs) So like you know. They don't even let you psychologically rest. They're like, this is what's coming. So that's the kind of psychological warfare that's getting played on on these people. 
Yeah, going through this training. Yeah, mental preparation, bro. It doesn't account for that kind of stuff. And bro, that's probably one of probably a thousand things a that thousand these guys things. do. A thousand things. So my friend, I'm gonna, I'm gonna obviously he's gonna remain nameless, but we know. And mm-hmm. he was, he happened to be an instructor, and he had the put it this way, he had the temperament early on, mm-hmm. high school days, where he would do that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know how you yeah. you said perfect example or perfect like comparison where you said you know if you, you mess with your little brother yeah. bro that's his whole personality yeah. messing with you as a little brother is just how and it didn't matter who you are so he would do this thing where he'd be like in the middle of something or whatever he'd be like hey run he'd be in the truck and they'd be on the sand one of the what do you call them recruit or cadets or students students yeah he'd be like hey go run and get me a gatorade and it's like 200 meters away or whatever say so, hey go run and get me a gatorade They'd run in, then he'd be like, oh, here you go, sir. And he'd be like, no, 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 put it in my hand. And he'd be in the truck on the sand, and he'd put his hand out like this, like a cup shape. <laughs> I do this to my kids, too, by the way. And they, he, he goes, put it, no, put it in my hand. And then he, they'd go to put it in, and then he'd rev up. The, you know, he'd go mm-hmm. forward, pull forward in the truck, and then he'd kind of string them along. Mm-hmm. So it's like this weird side. So I remember laughing, and he's laughing while he's telling me this or whatever. And I remember kind of laughing, but really I thought about it. There's more psychological, like, turmoil than what you might just oh, that sure. might appear not only because of what you've already been through but it's like i'm doing you a favor and you're putting up all these obstacles in an already adverse situation yeah. you're putting up all these obstacles at your discretion and you're doing it on purpose for me to do you this favor that i quote unquote have to do so it's like belittling it's physically hard mentally it's like i was like oh man this thing goes deep man yeah well it's like in uh in the um prison camps when the guards would make people do things that just had no purpose yeah. and it was so demoralizing like dig this yeah, hole fill it back in dig this hole fill it back yeah, in like yeah. your your effort is meaningless <laughs> you know yeah. delta charlie yeah. from leadership strategy and tactics who was like the best leader i ever worked for he uh he, he was a buds instructor at one point mm. and this is how like you said there's a thousand things here's what one of the things he would do you're in a tent during hell week and there's lights inside the tent and it's dark outside. And so as guys would run out of the tent, he would be standing there. So they're running out of the light inside of the tent into the dark. Yeah. So their eyes are wide open and he would stand there and and uh, shovel sand into their faces as they came out. So their eyes are open trying to see what's happening and he would perp, like, be, like plant, pre-planned. Just to get you just... Like, what is wrong with these people? Why are they doing this to me? I don't want to be here. I don't like these people. So that's what's going on. Um, And that's why uh, hopefully this individual goes and checks out some other branches of the military and hopefully you can find some other way to serve, man. Other way to serve. Uh, Next question. Jocko, which organizations are legit if you want to donate to injured or KIA Navy SEAL families? Um, A good question. Appreciate it. Um, I, I, I won't even begin to list them all. I'll, I'll list a couple of them. Uh, first is the Navy SEAL Foundation, which is s- sort of like sort of like the blue chip mm. organization, right? Mm. They're the biggest. They've been around. Um, they're, they've got great ratings. I know the people that run it. Um, they're just solid blue chip Navy SEAL Foundation. That's sort of the – that's sort of the – I don't know the the the, the standard the standard yeah. the highest brand the the most brand recognition that's like the Xerox of copy machines right, or whatever. Right. Um, 
of course we support America's Mighty Warriors, Mama Lee. Um, she does a she does a great job with you know, you specifically mentioned injured. Um, so one of the things that she does is she offers help to people that have been injured and the primary mode of her doing that's very specific. She's got a couple things, but her primary mode of doing that is is buying them a hyperbaric chamber treatment, usually between 30 and 60 days, all inclusive. So if you don't know what hyperbaric chamber is, you go in and you get treated by pressurized oxygen. And it has a bunch of health benefits and she's got all kinds of documentation of how it's helped people. But she will take, in, like let's say a guy's been injured or he's got TBIs or he's got some wound that needs to get healed up. Take that individual and pay for them to go to a place where they have the hyperbaric chamber, pay for their hotel, pay for their food, just basically complete all all expenses paid to go and get this treatment, which is otherwise, I mean, who else is gonna, who's gonna be able to take 30 to 60 days completely off and pay for a hotel room and all that stuff. So that's what Mama Lee does with America's Mighty Warriors. There's also the Navy SEALs Fund, which is different from the Navy SEAL Foundation. This one's smaller. Uh, it, it, it's, since it's smaller, it's like the local kind of restaurant. Like you can go in there, you know the people, um, very quick, very flexible, very responsive, not not massive amounts of money, but if there's something that needs to get done, they'll get it done. Um, so those are some, some ways to help out. And, you know, I, I always want to mention that, you know, SEALs get a lot of, of support. They really do. Um, they they also get supported by some foundations that help not only seals. Uh, there's a there's a group called Building Homes for Heroes. I recently met. Oh, so what they do is they take wounded guys and they build them a house. Mm. Usually, it's it's somebody that's been wounded. They build a special house that will help them with whatever their disability is. Um, Recently met an incredible guy named named Hugo Gonzalez. He's an army guy, got got wounded, uh, lost his sight, and you know I met him through this organization, building homes for heroes. But well, just an incredible guy, um, and he has you know a wife and kids now. And it was just awesome to be able to see this guy who now doesn't have to worry about a mortgage. You know the the American dream is having a house, so this. Building Homes for Heroes does that. There's another group called Homes for Our Troops that does the same thing. And I think those are two really good organizations. So those are some ways to help out um, injured and injured SEALs and also SEALs, families who of SEALs who were killed in action. Um, obviously, nothing we can ever do to repay them and we should do everything we can to take care of their families. So yeah, that's that. Appreciate the support for sure. Next question. <clears throat> hey, Echo and Jocko. Dr. Jordan, uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson talks about having an ideal for yourself to aim for. He usually also mentions how this ideal becomes a judge by which you measure yourself and how that can be in incredibly difficult or painful for some people because it highlights your shortcomings. I want to improve myself, but I'm experiencing that painful highlight. 
of my shortcomings and it destroys my confidence and motivation. My question is, would you recommend setting the highest ideal I can imagine right now and then try to get over that pain or setting a short or setting shorter term goals and letting that highest ideal naturally evolve over time because it may change as I accomplish smaller goals? Or do you have a different idea? Love to hear your thoughts. Love the podcast. God bless. No, actually, I think your assessment there is is accurate I think that's a good way to go about it um, I would you know you set the high deal you have that vision but then you break it down into smaller more manageable steps and you also have to recognize that it might change so if you want to be a black belt in jiu-jitsu that's a 10-year journey of and it's a journey of pain humiliation and suffering that's what it is and if you say all right I'm looking at the next 10 years of pain humiliation and suffering that's gonna be really hard to get through um, but if you say, hey, I'm going to start jujitsu, I'm going to train two times a week for the next six months. But that's something you can do. If you say, hey, I'm going to start jujitsu after six months, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enter two competitions this year. Okay, well, that's something you can do. That's something that's viable. So it's a much simpler goal. And by the way, it's still not easy. But, but that is a smaller goal where if you wake up and say, all right, no, now today my journey starts for 10 years of humiliation and suffering on the mats of justice. That might be a little hard to walk into. But you say, I'm gonna go train today. It's not that hard. Um, You're you're right though, in that big long-term goals and maybe this high ideals, these high ideals, sometimes they're so big and so long-term that they don't really account for the rest of life that could happen, right? They don't account for change. They don't account for even other opportunities because sometimes other opportunities come along or there's sometimes there's unexpected mayhem that comes with life that can really change things. So like I don't, you know, I don't have like a specific five-year plan. You know, people are oh, the five-year plan, the 10-year plan. I don't know that people have all this. I don't really have that. I really never have had that. And really like it's an interesting example because if you looked at, well, okay, maybe not five years, but six years ago, Six years ago, um, we didn't have a podcast. You know, I didn't have a book, much less 10 books, didn't have a supplement brand, didn't have a clothing company, didn't have any of that stuff. Six years ago. So if I would have made a five year or whatever, if I would have made a six year plan, it would have been totally ridiculous. So what happens is, is what, what I think instead of this specific goal, maybe if you say, hey, I'm gonna be disciplined in how I live. I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna waste my time. I'm not gonna waste my money. I'm gonna eat healthy. I'm going to improve my skill sets. I'm gonna work hard and apply myself. I'm gonna build strong relationships with good people. If you start saying those kind of things and those become your goals and those guide your everyday decisions, that is, those behaviors are absolutely going to put you in a good place. Even if that good place is something you don't know about right now because you might not know about it. Um, this is similar. Sometimes people ask me this, a similar question to this, and I use the, the metaphor of shooting long range. And when you shoot long range, as you look at the target that's 500 yards away, that target becomes blurry if you stare at it because that's just the way our eyes work. They start to water a little bit. And they come, that long distance target becomes out of focus. So what they teach us to do is focus on the front sight, which is right there in front of you. So that's what you do. You focus on the thing that's right in front of you. However, 
over time, if you don't pay attention, you might lose track of that. Dis- you might lose track of the target that's off in the distance. Maybe it moved. Maybe it shifted. Maybe you don't know why you're even looking at the front sight anymore. It seems like, oh, God, I've been grinding on this front sight for so long. So sometimes you have to shift focus back to say, oh, yeah, that's my target. That's what I'm looking for. That's where I want to go. So my recommendation is just like in long range shooting, yes, you focus on the front sight, but sometimes you got to make sure where, where you're going, where are those rounds going. So you got to shift your focus back from the short distance where you spend most of your time looking, but you also occasionally have to look up and look at the long range target to make sure you understand why you're looking at this short range grind that you have to go through every day. And remember that years are built on months, which are built on weeks, which are built on days, which are built on hours. And really, what you do every day, every hour, builds up over time, and we forget that. By the way, what you do positive builds up, and what you do negative builds up. Over time, little, I said that on one of the earlier podcasts we did, Rome wasn't built in a day, and it wasn't destroyed in a day either. Both those evolutions take time, and they, they happen a little bit at a time. You make a little progress. You make a little bit more progress. You make a little bit more progress. You get a little bit bigger. You get a little bit stronger. You get a little bit faster. You get a little bit smarter. That happens over time. Guess what else happens over time? If you let it, you decay a little bit. You get a little bit weaker. You get a little bit slower. You get a little bit more complacent. And then you look up and Rome's destroyed. So you gotta pay attention to those things. What you do builds so do the right thing and it will end up in a positive way there was it this is kind of the front sight uh, Mm -hmm. analogy a little bit Mm -hmm. the way i see it so jordan peterson dr jordan Mm -hmm. peterson said uh said in one of his many speeches where uh you know he in his practice and some of his students or whatever, like they'll say, oh, my life isn't what it could be. And then he asks why. And <clears throat> and ultimately it's like, oh, because you don't really try. They don't figure out what it is, like how their life. So, then, so it makes sense, this ideal that you said or whatever, mm-hmm. whether it be big or small or whatever. But he said where you can – a lot of people, they don't know how to kind of start or whatever, where for that reason, how you said, the front sight and the long – thing it's kind of like man there's so much in between or whatever but if you okay just focus on the front sight and the way he put it was all you got to do is just kind of take account take stock of yourself and be like ask yourself this question what am i doing every day just one little thing what am i doing every day to absolutely screw up my life that's what how he puts it which you know he that's his sort of skew on it a lot of time but it's a good question like what am i doing every day that is jamming up my life a little bit or a lot, or whatever, and then he said to compare it to like treat yourself as if you're some like you're taking care of someone you're you giving care advice about. to someone that you care about. Yeah, yeah, you care about, and treat yourself like that. So it's like, okay, what are you doing? Are you drinking? Are you freaking whatever? Are you smoking cigarettes or wh- whatever it may be? Mm-hmm. Like, and then just start with that, and just don't do that one thing, yeah. and then just see all the possibilities that open up. You know, and the way he says in a nutshell, it's like basically you got to set up the criteria for success, and that's a good place to start. You know, I had an interesting conversation with Jordan on that um, when I was on his podcast. 
and I was I, what I basically said was I was very lucky because I I as a young guy, nineteen years old, had a had an had a goal that I wanted to get to, and the goal was very basic. Mm-hmm. It was that I wanted to be a good seal. It wasn't it wasn't the highest ideal I could create for myself. It wasn't I didn't I I didn't think oh, I'm going to be the best seal ever. I didn't think that. Yeah. That's 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 too much. Yeah. I got, I already knew, you know. <laughs> I knew in buds. Hey, there's guys that are studs, smart, all this stuff. But I, I want to be a good seal. That's my goal. Mm-hmm. So then, once I had this goal of like, hey, listen, is this decision that I'm making right now going to make me a good seal, or is it going to make me not a good seal? Mm-hmm. And here's the interesting thing: even what I envisioned a good seal to be evolved over time. I got some of it right out of the gate, but some of it I was misled on. Some of it I didn't quite compute. Some of it I was like, oh, well, I used to think that that was cool, but now I realize that wasn't cool. That wasn't the right thing to do. That wasn't making me a good seal. That wasn't making me a better better operator. Mm -hmm. And so over time, my my ideal of a good seal became more narrow, more focused, and really more accurate. But even to this day, you know, I, my my vision of a good seal has become even more honed since I retired. And I can look back and say, oh, I would have been better if I would have done this. And here's the way a better seal would have done this. And here's a friend of mine that was a seal that he did this better than I did. And I wish I would have figured that out myself. So the ideal might change over time. And that's okay. But unless you're drastically wrong, and sometimes, hey, sometimes you can be drastically wrong. Sometimes you maybe think, oh, a Navy SEAL should be this kind of guy, yeah. and you just got, you followed the wrong person yeah. who had the wrong ideal of what being a SEAL is. And then you also run into that that idea of crabs in a bucket, right, mm-hmm. where everybody knows what a good SEAL is, but you know, I don't want Echo to be better than me, so I'm gonna lead him over in this direction. Yeah, yeah. So you gotta be careful of that. But if you kind of, if you figure out generally, hey, this is the direction I want to go. Is this decision that I'm about to make going to help me get there or not? Mm. Is it going to help me get there or not? Because if it's not going to help me, I'm not going to do it. And if it is going to help me, I'm going to do it. Mm. So should I, you know, eat this donut? Is that going to help me achieve better health? No, it's not. Mm. So don't do it. Don't do it. If I get up and work out right now, is that gonna help me achieve better health? Yes, it is. If I read a little bit more of this book, is that gonna help me get a little bit smarter? Yes, it is. Will looking at Instagram for another 20 minutes help me get smarter? No, it won't. So you can start to make good decisions, just good good little decisions in your life. And as you do that, you don't you don't you won't get overwhelmed by your shortcomings. And you know, I just had this conversation the other day with uh with someone on on the academy. Which is, look, you can look back at your past and just be filled with regret and think about all the the things that you missed out on. You can do that. I can do that. Mm -hmm. I can do that. What about this investment I could have made? What about this, you know, the situation I was in? I could act, you you can do that. it's, It's worthless, honestly. What lessons can you learn from it? Once you learn those lessons, cool, move on. But sitting there and looking at your shortcomings and thinking, I can't believe I did this, it's not gonna help you. You know what you can help? What you're doing right now. You know what you can impact? What you're gonna be doing in the future. So focus on those things. Don't get caught up in the past. Don't get caught up in your shortcomings. Everyone's got shortcomings. Hey, everyone does. How are you gonna improve them? That's the question. Good little decisions. Good little decisions, man. Those are the ones that count over time. They do indeed.
sir. Cool. All right. That's it for today. Appreciate everyone joining. Um, you know where you can get some stuff if you need it. Jocko Store. JockoStore.com. JockoFuel.com. OriginUSA.com. Bunch of books. EchelonFront.com. Appreciate it. Most of all, appreciate you supporting right here on the UG, the underground, where we remain free. And until next time, this is Echo and Jocko. Out.